to the epistle to the Ephesians in chapter number four. We'll read the uh, first 16 verses. Uh, I would normally be preaching in uh, the book of the gospel of Mark, but I kind of uh, misunderstood what my role was supposed to be today. I thought we were going to do more art stuff tonight. And so, Art, you're just going to get bombarded and uh, preach to some more, I guess. But uh, this is providential. I mean, uh, uh, it seems to me that the Lord wants us to talk about this. And it's been something that's been on my mind for uh, some time. The uh, unity of the church and our role as ministers in uh, uh, promoting that unity. And so let's uh, go to the Lord once again in prayer, and then we will read our scripture and uh, just walk through it and uh, see what the Lord has for us this evening. Let's pray. Well, our Father, we come into your presence once again to set our hearts and our attention upon you, to focus everything on you. Because you are the only one that is worthy to be worshipped and adored. You are the only one who has help for our souls. You are the one who, although you use us, you are the one who builds up the church in unity and in one body. And it was your plan even before the world began because you told us that you chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blemish before you in love. You predestinated us to be conformed to the image of your Son. And so this is your purpose for us. And we want to understand it and apply it in our lives. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's read. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, 
When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He, he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, for whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which is equipped with which it is equipped, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, the uh, book of Ephesians, we all know this, we've uh, heard this probably many times, uh, is a book that uh, uh, Paul wrote from prison, apparently, in chapter 3 and verse number 1, he mentions his chains in chapter 6 and verse number 20 he mentions his uh, bondage and then uh, here in uh, verse number one he again calls himself a prisoner and so this is a uh, letter from prison but his mind is uh, on the spiritual well-being of his readers and so he uh, uh, starts off with three chapters of glorious doctrine. I mean, it is so rich. You know, we had some teaching. Brother Peter taught on uh, the first chapter of Ephesians and down into a part of chapter number two. And it was, uh, I mean, there was just more and more nuggets of truth that... Uh, uh, just kept coming out. And the more you study it, the more you read it, the more you find. But uh, the point that I, I want to make now is that uh, basically, not, con, uh, uh, not entirely, but basically, the first three chapters are uh, uh, chapters of basic facts about doctrine, about the truth of uh, our salvation. Uh, they are uh, chapters of declarations about our salvation, and so we have these uh, uh, we have these truths that are so, uh, as I said, wonderful. We have in chapter number one we have God uh, uh, God's 
work in or God's plan in choosing us and then Jesus redeems us and then the Holy Spirit applies his redemption. When we hear the gospel preached, the Holy Spirit births us into the family of God and we receive that down payment of eternal glory. And so this is uh, all three members. It's a uh, uh, Trinitarian truth. All three members of the Godhead are involved intimately in our salvation. I feel bad for those who are the oneness uh, uh, people because who are you going, which one of the Godhead are you going to dismiss? I need the work of all, right? Of the Amen. entire Godhead. Uh, and, and so this is uh, uh, a truth that Paul is teaching. And then at the end of chapter 1, or toward the end of chapter 1, he prays for them, their spiritual enlightenment. Chapter number 2, he goes back into doctrine and he starts talking about uh, what we were and who we were before we were saved and what has happened since we've been saved. We were in Christ. We were chosen in Christ. So when Christ was crucified, we were crucified. When Christ was buried, we were buried. When Christ arose, we arose. When Christ ascended, we ascended. And when he was seated in the heavenlies, well, we're seated with Christ in the heavenly places. That's positional truth. Someone, I think there was a song that said, uh, my head's already seated in heaven just waiting on my body to be. Uh, maybe that's uh, uh, a little bit trite, but it's, uh, that's, it's true. One of these days we will physically be there, but now spiritually and positionally we are exalted with Christ. And so this is wonderful, wonderful truth. And then chapter number three, he, be he, uh, he begins it in chapter two, but he talks about the unity of the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers, that they have been made one in Christ. The wall of partition has been torn down. Remember we talked about that, that uh, temple uh, when Je Jesus came into Jerusalem and he uh, condemned all that was going on there and he threw out the money changers and all that and he said this is all can be cast into the sea. He, you remember that there was divisions. There were Gentiles. There were courts for the women. There were courts for the priests and all that. And in Christ, all those divisions are gone. All those partitions are torn down and we are one body in Christ. And so then we get to chapter number four and he says, therefore, based on all this, I'm not uh, going to stop talking to you about doctrine, but I am going to start talking to you about how that ought to affect your life. Those wonderful doctrines that we've heard should have an effect on our life. If your life is not changed by the power of what you know about the gospel, you should do some serious self-examination. 
The gospel is such a powerful thing. You, can, you and I, we drift sometimes, we stumble and we fall, and we sometimes just go ahead and admit it. We don't make mistakes, we just outright sin. And you know what? There's something about us we can't stay that way. You know, we drift, maybe we'll drift for a period of time, but there's always something nagging in the heart, isn't there? Isn't there always something that says, you, you, you need to be fellowshipping with God's people. You need to get into the Word of God. You need to get back into your discipline of prayer. And all the things that you know you ought to be doing, that's always there. You can never be happy in sin. A Christian, a truly born from above Christian, will never be able to be satisfied in sin. So, and we, I, I thank God for that. If he were to leave me to myself, what damage would I do to my soul? Thank God he does not do that. He... He loves me too much to let me go, to let me down, or to let me off. <laughs> he loves us too much. And so here's Paul. He's a prisoner. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. So he, he, he's using this, I, I suppose, to help them to understand that it doesn't matter what your condition is, these responsibilities are still incumbent upon all of us. It, it's easy for me to say, man, things are not going right. I'm going to just sit over here and mope a little while. But Paul's not doing that. He can't be out evangelizing. He can't be out church planting. He's in prison. He's in chains, according to his own words. He's in chains, but he says, you know, they can't stop the gospel. They can't stop my prayers, and they can't stop my pen. And he's writing these letters. He's writing these letters to the church. I heard someone say one time, Paul conquered Rome from the prison cell. Sounds good to me. He is a prisoner, he says, as a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now, this calling to which we have been called, this is that, uh, this is that effectual call that comes through hearing the gospel and we've heard the gospel and we have been called to repentance and faith and unity with the Lord Jesus Christ we have been called to become a follower of Jesus We've been called to become one of his disciples, a member of his body. And so he says, I've told you all these things. I've told you how that you are chosen in Christ and that uh, uh, you are in him, even in his glorified state. 
So act like it. Live a life that is consistent with that truth. Live that life. Uh, one passage of scripture, and, uh, the uh, location escapes me right now, but it says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Every day, it takes a conscious effort, a conscious, purposeful determination to say, I'm going to put on Jesus. I'm going to live Jesus today. And, and so he says, we are to walk worthy of that calling. And that, of course, is for uh, the good of our testimony in the world. But we're going to find that it's also very important for the unity of the church. If we're all walking by the same standard, guess what that'll promote? It'll promote unity, won't it? If we're all living by the same standard. And the standard is Jesus Christ. So... <coughs> Uh, we have been called, savingly called, by God. And he says we're to walk in that calling with all humility. I don't have time to deal with every one of these words. I want to be sure and give Art plenty of time. But you know about hum humility, right? And in gentleness, with Patience, bearing with, I love that, bearing with one another. One translation has it, make allowance for one another's weakness. You get that? Will you think about that with me? Make allowance for one another's weakness. This is about uh, uh, being a good brother or a good sister in Christ to the people around you. Understand that everybody hasn't arrived like you have. And remember that you haven't either. You're not nearly as spiritual as you think you are. I'm not nearly as spiritual as I think I am sometimes. And every once in a while, I prove it. And so do you. And, and so listen, we need to be humble. We need to be gentle <clears throat> with patience. Bearing with one another. Or... Here, here's another way you could put it. Putting up with each other. Bearing with one another in love. Now listen. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Here's what I really want for our church. I want our church to be Unified in Christ that we want to be in the bond of peace, in unity with one another. 
And we're eager to maintain that, to do whatever it takes to maintain it. Maintain uh, makes me uh, think of having to continuously be on guard about it. You know, a, a person who is charged with the maintenance of a factory, they have to be on the lookout for anything that would disrupt the flow of their business, right? And it's the same way, and not the same way, but I mean, it's a similar uh, understanding that as people of God, as members of the body of Christ, we need to constantly be on guard for those things that would disrupt. And don't be the one who disrupts. You be the one that brings the peace. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It's a continual thing. And, and, and another thing that the word maintain uh, brings to my mind is that at some point, it seems like we have unity. So just, just think about this. When, uh, when the Lord dealt with your spirit, when the Lord convicted you and brought you to repentance and faith, and you came to a body of believers and presented yourself for baptism because you wanted to openly testify to your faith and be identified with Christ and with his people, there was a unity with them that you were experiencing right then. I, I remember the day, the 17th of September, 1978. Now, if you don't remember the day, uh, that's okay, but I just happen to remember the day, 17th of September, 1978, I came to faith in Christ. He broke me, and I repented, and I had, it, he broke me so much, I haven't got through repenting yet. Hello? <laughs> you get me? I haven't gotten through repenting yet, but, but listen... I came back to church on Sunday evening. Get that, everybody. Came back to church on Sunday evening for the evening service. And I walked up front and I said, Preacher, I have something to say. I said, the Lord saved me this afternoon. And I want to be baptized and become a member of this church. And they started around shaking hands with me and hugging me and saying, God bless you, brother. And I thought that was the sweetest word I ever heard. Brother. I remember down in Mexico when my daughter-in-law, she's my daughter-in-law now, she wasn't then, was telling me about coming to faith in Christ. And... Uh, you know, just the night before, she had called me and asked me to come, uh, come over the first thing in the morning. She, she had to deal with this thing. But by the time I got there, I was too late. She'd already, 
made things right with the Lord. And she said, I'm your sister now. So that meant something to her. And so there's that unity that happens, that family bond of unity that happens when we first come to faith. But it has to be maintained because you can drift away from it. If you allow sin, if you allow laziness, prayerlessness to invade your life, it can, it can destroy that, uh, that sense of unity. And so, yeah, I'm, not, I'm going way too slow. Let me, let me hurry. He says, there is, now here's how we, uh, this is the example of unity. There's one body. I believe he's speaking of the body of Christ, which is the church, right? One body, one spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. Just as you were called in one hope that belongs to your call. So, in other words, we're all going to the same place. There's only two places you can go. And if you're a Christian, there's only one place. And that's heaven. And so, we're called in uh, one hope that belongs to our call. There's one Lord. We can say amen to that, right? One faith. Now, when he talks about faith here, he's not talking about your saving faith so much. What he's talking about is the body of revealed doctrine. Mm -hmm. That's the faith. Mm -hmm. There's only one. There's one way to heaven. As Art was talking about it this morning in the teaching hour, you can say, you know, there's many ways, but that's not, uh, that's not true. Jesus said, I am the way, not a way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one, no one, no one comes to the Father except by me. There is no other way. And so this is a, a, a one, a unified teaching, a there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Yeah. You say, well, I thought there was two. There's the water baptism and there's the spirit baptism. But there's only one baptism that saves. Mm -hmm. You get that? Mm -hmm. And it's not water baptism. Water baptism is an outward symbol mm -hmm. that this other one has taken place. Mm -hmm. Okay? So there's one baptism that saves and there is one God the father of all who is over all and through all and in all but grace was given to each one so now we're coming to individual Christians and when he's talking about grace here yes there is saving grace but the word grace comes from the same root as the word gift, charisma, or uh, charis. And so here he's talking about the gifts of grace, or better said, the enablements that God gives to each individual 
that he saves, he gives these gifts, these abilities to do things. And there are differing abilities and differing manifestations of those abilities. So there are millions of preachers around the world that could uh, out-preach me. God has given them that greater ability. There are pastors who are pastoring mega churches, and when you hear them preach, you don't wonder why, because, man, it's good stuff. <laughs> and so uh, God has given them that, but the fact that they have that ministry and that great, huge congregation to give an account for does not mean that my ministry is less valuable than theirs. Because God gives me what he wants me to have. And he gives them what he wants them to have to each one of us according to the measure, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Uh, if you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul makes that very clear about these gifts. Some, he, he enumerates several gifts. And uh, then in Romans chapter 12, he enumerates several gifts. And uh, so there are a number of spiritual gifts that people have. We have a responsibility to improve on our gifts, to refine those gifts, and uh, uh, to use them. And as we use them, they will grow. But, uh, but there is just this uh, diversity in it. But the diversity does not create division. The way God gives the diversity, if every part is doing its job, it promotes unity. So that is absolutely necessary. That each and every one of us is doing what God has called us to do. What God has enabled us to do. To find that, <coughs> that enabling in our lives. That, that, uh, that comes not natural talent so much. But the fact that God has given you something that you can do. In the church, in the body, in his kingdom to promote the unity of the kingdom. That is absolutely necessary. And Jesus uh, bought these things for us. He won these things. They're the spoils of his victory when he hung on the cross and won the victory through death. It sounds like it'd be the other way around, doesn't it? Sounds like the guy that gets to uh, uh, jab the spear in and walk away, he's the winner. And that's not the way it was with Jesus. He won the victory through death. Then he went to the grave and defeated the grave. He defeated death. He arose from the grave. And 
as he left, he distributed the spoils, gifts to men. That's what he said. He quotes from Psalm uh, 68 here. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And, and so Paul makes a commentary <coughs> on that. He said, well, if he uh, ascended, he had to have first descended. And that's what he did. He came from heaven to earth and died on the cross for our sins. And the very one who came is the very one who went away and gave gifts to men. He is exalted. He is exalted. And here are the gifts. Now we're getting finally getting to where we're supposed to be. He gave the, I like that article there. I don't know if that's in the uh, KJV or not. But uh, the ESV has it and uh, translates it like this. And he gave the apostles. Not just apostles, but the apostles. Because these were, a, a speaking about those, uh, those that Jesus chose. He gave the apostles. These are gifts to the church. He gave the prophets, those who... Have a message from God. We always think about it almost exclusively in the terms of foretelling. But what, we're, what we really need to understand about prophets is they're foretellers. They're the people who God spoke through. And, and, and listen, the uh, apostles and the prophets' ministries, uh, I'm not going to say ceased i'm going to say they're fulfilled they were fulfilled it's there's no more necessity for apostles there's no more necessity now there is a sense in which the word apostle means one that's sent and there is that sense but i'm talking about the office of apostle there there's no need for that there is no need for the prophets the evangelist I would call them more like missionaries, the ones who go and preach the gospel. And then there, here's the gift to the church, pastors, teachers, shepherds, and teachers. And I believe this, I won't spend the time to tell you why, but I believe this is the one office, shepherds and teachers, pastors, teachers, and here's what they're to do. Listen up, Art. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Listen up, Gary. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Oh, I thought that was the pastor's job to do the work of the ministry. Well, it's as much your job as it is his. He has a certain function, but... He is, his job and my job and Russ's job is to build you up, to encourage you to do the work of the ministry, to get you uh, charged up, building up uh, the work of the ministry. And, and the word ministry means to serve. So we got to get you built up to, for the work of serving. 
for building up the body of Christ. So we're trying to build up until we're going to keep doing this. It's a never-ending task until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God till we know all about the faith that we can know, till we know all about Jesus that we can know, till we come to such a mature place that we are, we have come, we have arrived to the measure of Christ. Whew. That's a never-ending job.